cannot expect that in the end of this transition process towards democratic energy, we will have everybody who is at every general assembly and everybody, every individual of our society will be on the barricades for community energy. There are different roles to play in this whole movement, but the idea and the possibility of participation is key uh, to creating this system. My ideal vision is not that there's more conflict necessarily. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's about what are the ideas we're able to take forward? What are the experiments we're able to do? What are the, how do we um, work together in none of us, admitting that none of us know, but all of us open, right? Welcome to City Stories, the podcast by Energy Cities. I'm Miriam Eisenman and I'm your host. This podcast is for those who want to learn how cities go about with the energy transition, how they take action with courage and creativity. The current energy crisis leaves no doubt. We need to create a worldwide movement of citizens who produce, store and manage their own energy. But how can we make change happen together, not as individuals, but as team players? Today's guests will explore this question on how we can create a culture of energy citizenship. I sit together with Dr. Binbin Pierce, who's researcher at TU Delft, and Margot Wingerhurt, who's head of communications, marketing and press for the big Belgian cooperative EcoPower. While Binbin has been looking into the sociological dimension of collaboration, using inputs from environmental science, Margaret spends her everyday job life convincing Mr. and Mrs. Smith to plug themselves into the Renewable Energy Cooperative and to play their part in the energy transition. Let's see whether together we can map paths into a future where the individual and the system do interact much more. Welcome to City Stories podcast, Margaret and Bin Bin. I'm really happy to have you in the show today. Uh, first things first, can you tell us a bit uh, about yourself and your work? Uh, let's start with you, Bin Bin. Yes, uh, thank you very much. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm a assistant professor at TU Delft. We have a faculty called uh, Technology Policy and Management here. And um, I recently started um, and moving from ETH Zurich. And my background, my the section I'm working in is called policy analysis. And my um, uh, chair is really looking at a policy design and the intersection between policy design and policy analysis. Um, and my background, actually, I started as an um, environmental engineer, but eventually through the postdoc and other studies have really moved to social sciences. And so now I'm very much uh, interested in looking at processes of co-creation, co-design, participatory processes, and collaborative decision-making and how that affects various sustainable development um, issues. And most recently, focusing um, those uh, that lens on the energy transition. We're going to dive quite deeply into exactly this question. So um, it's great to have you here, Bin Bin. Uh, what about you, Margit? Um, I'm uh, Margot. I'm completely on the other side, actually. I am the object of the policies. I work at an energy community, uh, an energy cooperative in uh, Belgium, in Flanders, called EcoPower. 
I work here for six years now and I'm responsible for communications. And that also means communications, marketing, um, press, and very important for an energy cooperative community building. Eh? So the member involvement is also part of the communications department in, uh, in our cooperative. Um, my personal background, I'm a translator and interpreter. I'm in love with uh, language, with many different languages. Um, but personally, I'm really driven by uh, transition, by social justice and by how we can create a more just society. Uh, I previously worked in democracy building, in workers' rights. So that's a different topic, but with the same uh, with the same heart, actually. And now I'm doing that in uh, in energy. So um, I work in a long-standing energy initiative, but we're really uh, also engaged now in in uh, because it's it's going really fast, and a lot is happening in energy uh, country and in uh, community energy. And we're also trying to help out new initiatives and to exchange and to learn ourselves, but also to help others to see how we can build one big European movement of citizens who take energy in their own hands and make a social, just and a democratic energy transition. Great. Thanks a lot, Margot. Uh, and it's, uh, you were just mentioning the European movement. It's true that over the past years, the, the EU even officially has confirmed is its vision, um, about citizens having a central role in the energy transition. So, um, I wanted to take the opportunity to have you both here to break down this concept of energy citizenship into something much more tangible for our listeners. So what does active energy citizenship mean to you? I mean, what is an active energy citizen? How does he or she look like? Who wants to answer first? I can try. I don't think uh, I have the answer, but I, I can I can tell you where we're at um, in terms of trying to break the idea down. Indeed, it's a very complicated one. So I'm the coordinator of a uh, project called Energy Citizens for Inclusive Decarbonization. So you'd think that we know exactly what energy citizenship is and who we're working with, but actually that's part of the project to um, try to find um, and, and define that concept in a clearer way and a way that really helps um, what we're trying to accomplish on the ground. So not only an academic definition, but one that is truly inclusive. And so I guess we're, we're, we're only halfway through the project. So we don't have <laughs> the definition and I don't think we ever will, but what we're working with is this, what we've come to realize is sort of this, that, um, You know, there's a number of narratives that we have about who we are as people, right? There's the subject story, which is, and I'm getting this from um, the book from um, Alexander called Citizens. But th there's the idea of us as we do as we're told, right? We're dependent, we obey, we receive. And this mm -hmm. is sort of, you know, through history, that's kind of what people, the public has been. And then that's really moved on to cons us as consumers. And that's really since the, you know, industrial revolution and we've had more buying power and there's, you know, with, with more resources that regular people have, then we become independent. We, um, you know, demand things. We choose things. And our power really comes from this where we put our, our money, for example. And, um, that's really also been an important part of the power of the people. But I think the whole idea of a citizen then is to even move beyond consumer, us as only consumers, still that remaining part of the picture. But what that means is that realizing, hey, we're not independent of each other. We're interdependent. 
It's about maybe not only demanding, but also participating. And along with that, it's not only about choosing, but it's about creating. And I think this movement from subject to consumer to citizen is the moment we're in. And so if, so that's just citizen in general, right? So if we, if we combine that with an energy citizen, we basically put those terms of independent, interdependence, uh, participation, creation to the energy realm. And that means we recognize the interdependence between people and systems, the energy system. We recognize that, that, that we can participate in the energy system through creation, which I think is probably a lot of the good work that Margot is doing. Um, however this needs exploration like the reason why i can't say that i know what energy citizenship is is that is different for every person right so if we say and our premise really is that everybody is is an energy citizen already it's not something you become it's not something you have to earn it's not something that you um either are born to or not but it's rather if everyone is a energy citizen, we have to understand what each of our relationships are to energy and how it impacts our own communities now and into the future. Mm-hmm. So, and so that it's a question that has to be answered every time. And it's a very complex question. So thanks for giving a first answer to this and a first insight into how an energy citizen can look like. Margot, do you agree with that type of definition and that uh, approach to it? Definitely. It's really interesting to see that Bin Bin has a more academic and theoretical approach. And I really work from, from the field, but I recognize absolutely what she says. Um, for, for eco power, it's, um, it's a matter of not being a passive consumer, but being able to play an active role in a basic need such as energy. Um, so before we were consumers and many of, of us now are prosumers. And the idea is that if you join forces and if you join people together, we can evolve from the citizen or the individual versus the energy company and create a new system that's community energy where citizens uh, unite and they are the energy company. So that also means that you don't have different interests. You have one interest because the interest of the company and the interest of the, the client, let's say, is the same interest. And that's a really important idea behind that, especially for a basic need and an important thing as energy. Um, energy should be created and used for the common good, for the, uh, with respect uh, for our, for our planet, of course, our climate, our environment, but also for our society and the individuals living in that society. Um, so for us to create that system, uh, key elements actually are ownership. It's really important that people can own their own energy sources and projects and use the energy of those sources um, at cost price. Uh, energy shouldn't be a good that uh, that is for profit, in our opinion. Um, also, a big part of it, and, and uh, this whole idea cannot be created without uh, knowledge. You need knowledge and understanding of, of how it works. If you are not... Uh, if you don't have knowledge and understanding, you cannot be empowered. So that's also really important. Um, and participation actually is a third element that I think is really important. It's not 
obligatory for everybody. We cannot expect that in the end of this transition process towards democratic energy, we will have everybody who is at every general assembly and everybody, every individual of our society will be on the barricades for community energy. There are different roles to play in this whole movement, but the idea and the possibility of participation is key uh, to creating uh, this system. So uh, I, I think we uh, we really agree, and and uh, um, it's it's ongoing. The movement is is really growing, and it's really inspiring. But we also have to recognize the, the challenges. I think we're among uh, we're in a, a family here. Eh? We uh, we are three people from the same family. I think. Thanks, Margaret. Before we. Uh, talk a bit more also about the like the different types and the breadth of participation that we can most probably expect uh, when we talk about energy democracy. I wanted to zoom a bit more into um, this profile of an energy citizen. And Margot, uh, a question to you. Let's imagine that we have a group picture uh, with the 65,000 plus members of your cooperative. Uh, can you, so let's have a look at this picture and can you pick some of them and, and describe them? Aren't, I mean, I would guess that they're essentially like those geeks that we usually see, people who are very much interested in technology and um, who have probably quite a lot of time, maybe they are already retired. Uh, is that a, a wrong picture of the type of members you have? Well, I think first I, I have to add that we never had the opportunity to take a picture of all of them. So when we take pictures, we take pictures not of the 65,000 members, but of the members who come to an activity or who actively engage in a general assembly or in the uh, energy cafes or the information sessions that we organize and the webinars, because we do a lot. Um, but of course, not 65,000 people show up. Um, in physical events, luckily, they don't show up all because that would be a problem. <laughs> In a digital event, they are all welcome. Um, at a physical event, it's true that the picture that we make, um, there are exceptions, but it's mainly male. People are technologically driven. They are the geeks that you call them. Um, they are male. They are uh, retired. They have time. They have a passion for energy somehow, personally, often through their job or also through their hobbies, for example. Um, they're quite old, uh, they're very white um, also, and they, they're critical, they think, they contribute, and that's great. It's, it's, a, it's an important part of our membership, but there is also the invisible part, and I know myself that the invisible part are also a lot of uh, young families who make a choice for the future of their children, um, uh, people who support the cause and, and the ideas, but who absolutely don't have the time. I mean, often they are also member of different organizations and cooperatives. So we must not forget that this silent part that we actually are trying to activate, but that's a big challenge. And there is a silent part that that's not just old and male and technologically driven. Um, Maybe even more important is the picture of the people who are not member of our community because mm -hmm. we are big and successful, but that is relative if you look at whole society, of course. Mm -hmm. And we have challenges, big challenges ahead when we think about energy poverty, when we think about uh, diversity, when we think about gender, when we think about young people. Uh, 
So uh, that's that's the people who are maybe less engaged right now and that we really want to work on to become more diverse and more inclusive. That, that's super interesting because that, that was also, that leads me to the question I, I actually wanted to ask next is when we talk about engagement within the energy system, I mean, the question is what is a realistic spectrum of democratic energy actions and decisions? So being part of a cooperative is, is one of them, but there are certainly many others. And as you are saying, there's uh, still a, a vast majority of people who are not part of EcoPower or of any other um, energy-related uh, initiative, so probably like 90% of, of the population. So they don't really care for being more active. They simply want to have uh, their their home being heated. They want to have light. They want to be able to cook. Uh, they want to have a car that has enough gas in it. Uh, so they essentially just want the energy services they need at affordable prices, right? So, yeah, how do you go about that, uh, Margot and Binbin? Bin, I know that uh, you mentioned the Include project um, where you want to understand actually what is the role of energy citizenship across diverse communities. So what do we do with, with them? How can we get to more inclusivity uh, in, in energy initiatives and in energy democracy overall? No, I, I really appreciate um, that very clear picture that you painted, um, Margot. That's also interesting. I'm taking notes as you're speaking, so I'm also learning. <laughs> Indeed, this is one of the things that we recognize through some of the um, the partners in our consortium who have done a lot of work on energy citizenship. They recognize that um, energy citizenship has become let's say, an umbrella term for actually very specific forms of energy citizenship. So it becomes a moniker for energy communities or cooperatives. And indeed, that's perhaps only one form of many different types of participation that's possible as a part of an energy system. So, for example, we just recently closed a, um, a case study survey of about 78 different cases of what we're calling collective energy initiatives across the EU, but also some cases in Canada and Africa. And what we realize is that, you know, about, you know, a third of those are definitely energy cooperatives, but there's also political movements. There's also what we're calling collective targeted action. There's also, you know, actually just pilot projects, technical pilot projects where people don't really, they don't have a promised, let's say, sustainable solution to what we do, but people have put in their own money to sort of experiment, basically, essentially. And so there are, um, first of all, that's a recognition that there are very many different forms of um, activity in relation to energy. And perhaps one small opening is to say, oh, there is not just this one type of participation. And then that actually opens up the way for, okay, well, that means that there's different paths for different people with different types of energy resources and backgrounds. So that's a very general answer. But I think specifically one of our insights in developing the, the project include was It seemed like a lot of the, you know, policy driven things were top down, um, even as even this this latest uh, clean energy initiative, a lot of it was a top down policy was actually driven by bottom up action. And we realized that, okay, so one possibility is what if instead of as academics, usually our role is to advise the policymakers and to make better policies and things like that. And we basically in this project thought to ask, well, what if our role as researchers was to catalyze more of the bottom-up initiatives and make a better linkage between what people are saying, what they're doing to policy? So just kind of turning it around a little bit. Um, and in order to do that, what we wanted to test out, and it's really just on, 
an experiment is launching what we're calling the Include Academy. And there, the goal was really to think what format, what kind of organization, how do we recruit in such a way that we really would reach people who normally would not be joining the energy communities or cooperatives or how do we expand exactly this pool of these this pool of people who would be enthusiastic but are not the the typical type of people that have the resources or time to to join more intensive activities and we basically went about headhunting for these people <laughs> who we call i mean they're they're energy citizen leaders or they're basically community leaders they're the unofficial mayors, let's say, of their communities, or they're people with inordinate amounts of energy. We're not. And so it ended up being that we have, we had 80 signups um, and ha- almost half of them are in Africa. And our average age is 32. We hit a different demographic, but it is to us an initial sort of indication that we are somehow targeting a different audience than the one imagined. Mm-hmm. That, that's really fascinating and yeah, empowering people with expertise and knowledge and giving them the opportunities to ask questions and to get answers. I think that that makes them uh, more motivated to be, become active. And Margaret, you were mentioning also this importance of having the knowledge, right? Um, I guess that's also something that you do with your members and that is that just crucial if we want to have more people uh, getting active. Yeah, communication at, at EcoPower is more than just saying what we do. We we put a lot of effort also in information files and explaining how the market works and uh, organizing webinars. And so that's that's a big effort. Uh, it costs a lot of time and money sometimes, but it's it's what why we exist. Um, I, mm. I wanted to add some uh, some things to what um, what uh, Bin Bin said. Um, If I approach it from our energy community, we definitely uh, we are one part of the of the, the the huge landscape in in the in the ongoing transition towards energy democracy and citizens energy and community energy. Um, but we noticed that we grew very big over the 30 years, and we we actually did a strategic exercise uh, last year, and we chose uh, six strategic goals that we want to work on um, on in, in the common coming 10 years because the energy transition it's it's everything I mean it's so much that you have to choose and, and different organizations or, or movements have to pick what they are strong on because if you do everything you end up doing nothing so what we actually decided is that on one hand we need to be ambitious we need big projects in citizen hands. We need more wind turbines that are owned by the community. We need this energy because this ownership gives us the, the, the money and also creates the independence, uh, lowers the prices. So that's, uh, that's a, a core business of our energy cooperative. But if we only do that, we could also be an energy company. And we don't want to be. So additionally, we have some of our strategic goals that really focus on the on the social aspects. And we're actually um, trying. One of the things is how can we become a reflection of society? 
It's a huge challenge, but we focus on diversity, on gender, on youth, and on uh, energy poverty. So we want to see, we're going to start small. We cannot be an, a reflection of society tomorrow, but we reached out to other organizations that are very interlinked, for example, with the, with the gender topics or with energy poverty or households that are economically vulnerable. So we don't want to do that ourselves. We want to, and I think the challenge is to root an energy project in the existing local community. So we try to involve uh, community leaders, for example, or existing social organizations. We try to reach out and say, we're putting a wind turbine here. It's not just a wind turbine, it's your wind turbine. And we, we try to inform them, involve them, engage them, and use the existing social networks and structures to, to trickle down the effect of uh, a, a renewable energy uh, project. So that's a bit uh, a challenge ahead. And through European projects, we actually have the funding and also the time and the possibility to experiment with this and to, to make uh, models that we then, through um, replication sites, try to implement on other, uh, in other uh, places. Uh, we can copy models, but the local context is also different everywhere so we have to take that into account also and then maybe to uh, to end there is one element that I, I I really like in the in the transition and in the the movement uh, regarding energy um, and that's more it's always climate in the title but that's youth for climate grandparents for climate students for climate that those are huge international global movements actually and the names say they are focused on the preservation of our planets, but they also claim a system change. They, they claim a transition to a more fair economy. And these two elements, preservation of the planet and a, 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 a fair economy and a transition towards social justice, these come together in community energy. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to reach out also to these movements and to jump on the energy and the, the strength that they have to, uh, to further develop um, develop the, the, the community energy transition. I couldn't agree more, Margot. Uh, uh, last Friday, I was at the Berlin uh, climate strike of Fridays for Future, and I was in the middle of this crowd of 40,000 mostly young people, and I was really amazed by the energy that came out of this. And I was just thinking, yeah, it's, it's so much more motivating if you see others around you and um, knowing that you're not you're not alone and you're you're fighting together um, and that's why I think it's really important to foster collaboration both between us citizens but then also as you were saying bin bin um, between different like governance levels uh, linking the top down and the the bottom up um, actions with each other so you you both were already mentioning like that different type of influences, let's say, if, if we want to use this uh, very trendy word, uh, who, who can trigger action. You didn't talk that much about um, local governments uh, and being from a city network. Um, that's definitely, for me, one of the big players as well when we talk about driving not only citizen energy, but uh, community energy, right? Uh, I know EcoPower is collaborating quite a lot already with local governments. Maybe you can um, say who are the partners um, more from the municipal level in your project and how you think they can best encourage participation to move the needle 
and to really um, push for more energy democracy uh, at the local level. So it's the Glasgow City Council who uh, is a great um, supporter of what we do. And they're very, from, from their perspective, for example, um, uh, one of the things that we're trying to build for local governments is um, this idea of a interactive um, citizen platform. And the idea is, are we able to, for example, gather information about how we can identify the different types of energy citizens there are, so according mm -hmm. to their different needs, um, and how, um, what are different actions that these different types of energy citizens are likely to be able to take given a specific city context, and how might that affect the decarbonization potential of that specific area. And the idea of the platform is to give leaders, local leaders, an idea of, hey, is this an idea that um, is worth it for us? How much can we invest in reaching out to different types of energy citizens? And even this idea of the recognition that all of their citizens could play a part in the energy transition, not only in certain areas of their of the population, I think is something that they were quite interested in. Um, and the other thing is, again, back to the academy, it's less uh, explicitly working working with um, city councils, but a large number, uh, the whole idea of the academy is translocal, meaning we want to build a learning network between local leaders of of change. So these, so the whole idea is to help one another leverage their own resources in their local city contexts in order to see the commonalities between um, their common challenges but also maybe common ways of being able to leverage their, their resources together. And I, and I think um, another aspect of how we're drawing cities in is that we're also asking um, uh, local uh, government um, officials that we've been in contact with, for example, in Cork, also in Ireland, to mm -hmm. be mentors to the um, energy citizen leaders. And so because we recognize that a lot of the barriers that people who are inspired and who are potentially leaders in the energy citizens, uh, citizen leadership um, roles are faced with quite practical challenges that you can't read about anywhere, that you can't mm -hmm. learn about anywhere except for a mentorship or like apprenticeship through, through a series of, um, uh, through building up their experiences really. And so we want to also, we see um, local governments as having a dialogue with the people who normally would be trying to work with them um, mm -hmm. and, and trying to give them insights into, hey, if you want to make a change, let me give you a tip here. It would really be easier for us if <laughs> you did this yeah. or this or that. So there are, I guess, various ways in which we'd like to pull in uh, local governments and because we do recognize that that's one of the key um, leverage points that citizens might have. in the Definitely, yeah. Margot, what, what are your ways of um, working with local governments? Um, I, I definitely agree. Uh, um, uh, municipalities and cities, they definitely are natural partners of energy communities and, and of citizens' initiatives. Um, I think often uh, the, they're not enough interlinked and they don't know each other good enough to, to see that. Um, but, but to start with the advantages... Um, municipalities, on one hand, they have the challenge to, uh, to, uh, to reach the coven covenant of mayors that they are almost all signed. They all have energy plans locally. They have climate plans, action plans to, to become uh, carbon neutral. So they are looking for partners to realize that. And of course, it's always more interesting to have a partner that is 
democratic and citizen-based for a municipality than a commercial company or an external uh, player that that comes in. So, so it, it should be uh, logical that when a project is realized, for example, on a town hall, on a public library, that it is realized by a local energy community. I think that that's a no-brainer. So EcoPower definitely has a lot of projects on, uh, on, on buildings of uh, local governments, which is really important. Um, also, a project is a lot easier if the local government is on your side. And now I'm talking especially for wind projects, of course. Um, and that's a big challenge. They're so necessary. And um, if the local energy community and the local government are on the same line for a project, the chances to realize it are so much higher uh, that, that that's a, a big advantage. Um, mm. Also, to involve people, it's sometimes hard for an energy community to, to get out of their, their inner, they, they have a circle, and it's sometimes hard to breach the circle and reach out to new people and to more people. And if the local government is willing to help out with that, they can reach everybody because they're all uh, inhabitants of that, uh, that town or that city. So if they want to help out on the communication, for example, they can reach a lot of new people. Also through their welfare centers or through, through local organizations, they have the possibility to, to strengthen the movement and also um, uh, um, create that diversity that we are, uh, are looking for. Um, the, the scale project, for example, where we are, are uh, trying that, uh, the pilot project and the replication sites, um, we first reach out to the local government to explain what we want to do and to see where we can strengthen each other. So that collaboration is really key for a bigger success. You can. I also notice sometimes that local governments they struggle themselves with um, with participation and with democratic involvement. They have a certain democratic deficit, so it's not that they are really strong in that, and that we can we can learn from them. So I think there is mm. still a big challenge, both for the energy community movement as for local and other governments, to to create more participation and true a true democratic uh, way of working and not just voting once every four years or six years, because that's not real democracy. That's that's the formal democracy and it's important. So the democratic deficit is, is a bit of a challenge. And um, But I also see a lot of, of change there eh, through, through mm. uh, digital democracy, through uh, uh, citizen councils. Uh, there, there are a lot of new initiatives that, that, uh, that give hope. And I also see that there are citizens who actually um, don't really trust governments anymore. That's also uh, uh, something I sense in society sometimes. So it can happen that if you team up as an energy community or an energy initiative, if you team up with the governments, that some people already don't want to be in because you... You, we are really new and fresh somehow. Mm. Also that we exist 30 years, but if you look at the current situation, it's a really fresh alternative. And if you team up with the traditional structures, it, it can also be a bit, uh, for some people, it can be a, 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 a threshold. So mm. that's, that's so maybe a little challenge to create the trust, um, in these collaborations.
So as we're getting to the end of our talk now, I'd like to broaden the view a bit and also end uh, on a on a more positive, even more positive note. Uh, I think it's great that you just mentioned th those different challenges and um, it's good that we know them and that we tackle them. Um, but in this current energy crisis, uh, voices are becoming loud, very loud, actually, saying that we need to radically change our energy system. And I think we all agree with that. So um, my final question to both of you and I would like uh, Bin Bin to start answering is what is your ideal vision of the future when it comes to local energy democracy if you would Ooh, that's a good question um I, I okay I think my ideal vision of the future is that no matter how much financial resources people have or what kind of educational background they were able to get, or what kind of, you know, home they came from, that everyone within a local community feels the capacity to speak up and to be able to know that they are created, creative enough and have enough efficacy to contribute to change for the energy system. Mm -hmm. I think the, the perception of one's own efficacy in a system if that changes everything can change if our perception that we are an automaton within a system and that there's no point in doing anything which we get plenty of messages saying that yeah, right yeah mm -hmm. then we can be productive and it's and i i have to say uh, this is just my personal point of view and my ideal vision is not that there's more conflict necessarily not that the voices opposing voices grow louder subsuming each other, going over and out or kind of eating each other up. But that when people feel that sense of efficacy, it's not about conflict anymore. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's about what are the ideas we're able to take forward? What are the experiments we're able to do? What are the, how do we um, work together in none of us, admitting that none of us know, but all of us open. Right. So that when you say ideal, I know it sounds like that's an ideal. It's very idealistic. But it, it strikes me that it's and to reach that ideal, it's also I mean, okay, I'm speaking from academia, so I have a biased view. It's about mm -hmm. how do we also in, incorporate within education um infusing it with with not only analytical you know, analytical skills and uh, facts and figures. But how do we listen to each other better? How do we actually become more open to one another's perspectives? If we're a community of people who are all open and who are fundamentally able to listen to each other, then we have a, we, I think we have a chance. I love this vision, Bin Bin, and let's hope that we get there. Um, might it be in 10 years or, or uh, at another time horizon, but it's, uh, it's just great. I, I would love that to see happening. Uh, Margot, what about you? I actually think, and it's, it's, it's a big cliche, but I feel a momentum. I mean, we have a, we have a huge crisis. Everybody agrees on that. Uh, I see it as a triple energy crisis. We have a climate crisis. And on top of that, the bills went completely through the roof. People are very vulnerable economically, uh, uh, because of energy, uh, problems. And on top of that, we suffer from our energy dependency. 
And I think community, community energy actually provides an answer to all three elements of this energy crisis. And that gives me a lot of hope. And my hope, uh, my hope is actually that one day we will have, um, uh, a, a big network of energy communities and initiatives that all have their different strengths, but that are that interlinked that if one person needs something, you contact, you contact maybe one organization that you know, and that automatically you, you are, uh, you are connected to other organizations that maybe have the, the, the service or the thing that you need. And when we talk about energy, I talk about electricity. Um, but also heating, big challenge, and mobility. Let's not forget transport here. And also where I started with, and I will end with it also, uh, advice, knowledge, um, mm -hmm. uh, information. And I hope that all different initiatives will develop in their own strength and interlink so it's one big network of community energy that is not for profit and that has not only an ecological uh, part, but also a very strong social aspect and that we can create a, a, a fair and social just uh, energy system that exists for the common good for our people and our planet. That's where we're heading to. Wow, thanks so much, Margot and Vin Vin, for that conversation. I, I learned a lot, really, including the message that um, yeah, whatever we do, it, it needs to be rooted in the community and we have to put the citizens uh, in the driver's seat to make really uh, a systematic change in the energy system and to create something better in, in our cities. You're having different missions, but uh, in the end, I hear that, um, yeah, you, your, your visions are uh, quite uh, similar and you both work towards uh, the same aim. So, elevating the voice of those who are not yet in the system and um, yeah, trying to make sure that, that all those players collaborate in the best way and that we become kind of one <laughs> in the near future. So it was super interesting and inspiring talking to you. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you, Margot. Thank you, both of you and your organizations. Keep up the good work. We come from really different angles and I think occasions like this contribute a lot to that interlinking and exchanging of uh, knowledge and uh, also my pleasure that uh, we are three uh, three girls here together today because the energy world <laughs> exactly. is still uh, quite of a challenge so uh, yeah. my pleasure I hope to meet you in person one day same yeah thanks a lot bye bye <laughs> bye, bye. this episode was produced with support from scale 203050 SCALE is a new project which makes collaboration happen to get many more energy communities up and running. The people behind SCALE 203050 work on a methodology and toolkit for citizens, cities and policymakers. If you too want to see more local energy communities across Europe, check out the toolkit and explore all of the project's resources at the website scale203050.eu, scale with two C like in communities, sccale2030.50.eu. And SCALE is actually funded by the EU's Horizon 2020 program. Thanks for tuning in.